Supply Posse. Today's guest, Sarah O'Halloran, first came into my orbit some 12 months or so ago after I stumbled on her Etsy store. I'd gone looking there for Sashiko kits and Sarah's store was there waiting for me to fall in love with its contents. I'd finally decided to learn the art of Shishiko. What better place to buy supplies from than an Australian seller? My kits, yes, I bought two because one is never enough and more than one of something means you're heading towards a collection or an obsession, whichever way you want to look at it, were exactly what I'd hoped for. Beautifully presented, they had everything I need to send me on my way to knowing Shishiko was what I needed in my life as part of my artist toolkit. Eventually, I reached out to Sarah, inviting her here to join us in the posse. And here we are. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Art Supply Posse. Hello. Well, that was such a nice welcome. Thank you. Nice introduction. <laughs> it's my pleasure. And it's all heartfelt and true. <laughs> I can still I can still remember how delighted I was to discover your store and um yeah so you know it just made sense to to say all those things because it's it's so true yeah I've had so I've uh, I've had so many people say the same thing and when I first started LJH I did not ever envisage five years ago or actually almost six, um, this is one where I'll be now, but two also what it has brought to me as well. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's those little connections that you have with people that I think make such a difference, right? Like it's one thing to be, and so yeah. often we are, we're making and creating on our own because that's that's the nature of creativity in many ways. But to have that connection mm-hmm. with people, in your case because they're purchasing from you, but it's, it yes. just brings something different to the art, I think. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a bit of part of my dilemma. I, um, you know, yes, on Etsy I look like a shop, but in actual fact I, I don't consider myself a shop. I consider yep. myself a working studio. I consider myself a community centre mm-hmm. and um, that's part of the beauty of being able to move down into the studio almost two years ago now because I needed to. Um yeah, the community connections and being able to get people together who have the same interest. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's um, that's a really big one for me. I'm a, I'm a people person. Uh, yeah. My background, I used to be a midwife. And so um, being a nurse and all that, you have to just like people. You have to enjoy being with them and wanting to do things with them and share things with them. Well, I guess the nice thing about the internet and about, like, you know, I mean, it's brought us together for starters. It's, it's, it's recording this conversation, putting it out to the listeners. But it gives you that extra, extra reach because so the listeners, we haven't even got to, we're just, we're just all over the place. This episode is just all over the place and that's just how it's going to be. Everyone right. fine with that because I think people, I think so people. I'll catch you there because you said, people, you in there cause you said women and I, I would also like to stand up but there's actually been. Quite a few men who have oh, yes. um, been part of the community but have been too frightened to be in it because it's majority dominant women. And yeah. it's very hard for me to, I haven't worked <laughs> out how to give well, them that comfort. It's funny you know. because as heading off onto a quick little tangent, one of the first YouTube 
YouTubers that I discovered um, for, for when I was looking for, you know, how-to tutorials was a, was a man, is a man. So, you know, uh, it's not yes. surprising to me at all that that's, that's what, what's happening, you know. I mean, I think it's the thing we all forget is it doesn't matter what your gender is or non-gender, you can make mm-hmm. art, you can do the thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I've noticed it's been more men on those social media platforms who have been very confident to show their craft, oh, uh, especially in Sashiko and things like that, than it's been yeah. women. Or yeah. that's probably what um, Instagram and Facebook are choosing to show me. Well, <laughs> they love the algorithms. Yes, that's the algorithm at work. Yes, yes. Look, before we get way too distracted, let's step back a tick <laughs> and let's go to who is Sarah sure. and what made you go from where you were, where you first began, and then now taking you to your studio and your connections online and that sort of thing. Like, let's share a little bit of that first and then we'll just keep going crazy. (laughs) Yeah, okay, how far back? I'll go back to my childhood. So I lived overseas um, for most of my childhood and next door was um, a Japanese neighbour and she had a daughter year older than me. In fact, we have reconnected a couple of years ago. So whenever I go to Japan, I always see her and we go oh. and do, um, oh, that's uh, we don't do crafts together. In fact, she's my translator often when I go and do my Sashiko studies. So yeah, she's, um, it's so cool how it's come around again. Mm. Um, so instead of me helping her to learn English, she's yeah. helping. It's just lo- lovely. Um, anyway, so it goes back to that. And I, I told her when I saw her a couple, well, obviously before COVID, because haven't seen her since um I said I still remember your mum she wouldn't let me use the nice um origami paper to fold those cranes I had to use some crappy seconds <laughs> her mum has no memory of this <laughs> you know that's just why at the age of seven to fold those perfectly but I get it I totally get it that would have been very special paper <laughs> but I've always been a crafty person and I've always enjoyed stitching and um, I would spend all my pocket money on that sort of thing and my mum would never really, um, she apparently was a crafty person before my time but I don't ever remember her crafting and me being observant of it. it mm-hmm. Sewing was probably the main thing I saw her do, um, as in clothes sewing. Uh, so fast forward, I really enjoyed stitching uh, but something that I was finding quite frustrating with stitching. It's a, it's very time, particularly cross-stitching. It was taking a lot of a time to achieve a reasonable project. Um, with very fine embroidery, I was finding that it required quite a bit of precision um, and patience. <laughs> um, and I, uh, yeah, I came across Sasha Ko and said, wow, what's this? Um and when I was studying indigo dyeing in um, Japan, I s- saw a bit more. And then I, every time I went back and with this girlfriend I was talking about, I would go and study with Japanese sashiko teachers. There's one particular one that's very well known because she was taught by um, uh, what was considered a, uh, can't think of the right term in English, but she was very respected because she did the sashikoing for. Um, the royal family or the emperor, as you would say, the emperor's family, and also for very well-known actors. Oh, wow. So she had learned from was teaching yeah. us, so that's why it was considered quite special. Um, you know, little old me from <laughs> – <laughs> I was her first English-speaking oh. student ever. 
And wow. in fact, she said, I've learned, I've started to learn English because of you. Oh, wow. So I'm really looking forward to meeting up with her when That's I get back. That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, I, I sort of moved in such a code because I could see that I was being able to produce an image very quickly. But also I think part of it too is because the rules were so simple. Yeah. I don't even like to use the word rules, but the, the philosophy behind it traditionally goes actually way, way back. People think it's a, a craft on its own, but, um, you know, it depends who you talk to. You've got to be really careful with your language when it comes to such a code. And it depends who you talk to, how you say it as well. So mm-hmm. you'll probably hear me say it differently. Probably. Ways. Yeah, probably. Um, way better than me, but anyway. <laughs> what was that? Oh, you're saying it, you're pronouncing it way better than me, which I know, I know better, but I'm just like being lazy. So, you know. <laughs> no, it's an English language. No, I totally get it. Um, it actually goes, so it goes way, way back to, way, way back into the Edo, Edo and past um, time in Japan where uh, the very, very poor were repairing their clothes. So they were repairing their clothes because they could not afford to buy new clothes. Uh, so it was actually considered very shameful. Mm-hmm. So they had stitching on their clothes. They felt ashamed because for them it showed an identity of poorness, which they didn't want to do. Mm. Um, a lot of the work was done at night without light. So this, it's really what we would known as boro stitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it then got to a point where it, the more wealthier people started to do it because they could see they could do it as something beautiful rather than repair. Yeah. So they started to replicate what they could see as traditional icons and that's where a lot of where Sashiko has come from. Um, and then, of course, in the modern era, we have moved it into a very sort of modern, kind of mixed it with embroidery, and which is kind of what I don't mind doing. So I really would like to say I I do a lot of Boro-inspired mm-hmm. um, or Sashiko-inspired type stitching, particularly with this um, stitch-along that we're doing yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things, isn't it, that is – you can create such beauty with so little input, like time-wise, which is part of the reason why I think I've fallen in love with it because uh, listeners will know because I've spoken about this before, but time and me don't <laughs> necessarily always play well together. I don't have as much time for my art as perhaps I would like. So, you know, it's why I like oil pastels because they're quick. I can throw mm. colour down. I can have something really quite yes. nice in a short period of time yes. and, you know, art journals and that sort of yeah. stuff. And then now I can stitch these little things and that's the yeah, other thing I like is they can be small. They don't have to be the world's biggest thing and still be beautiful and there's something yeah. pretty cool about that. Yes. And you can have lots of small. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, sometimes it's not just a time thing too. I think also sometimes – for me, there's the impatience behind it too. There's, you yeah, know, yeah. that's why I really enjoy Sasuko with weaving because you do the stitches, your base stitches, and then you weave. And so very quickly you produce something that looks amazing and you think, mm-hmm. ah, that is, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess compared to my past. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And And the other thing I suppose that's really nice about it is you have the simpleness of the thread but then if you want, you can kind of go to town with the fabric you use, uh, which has been what I've sort of been experimenting with yeah. stitch along oh, is yeah. instead of just using plain 
fabric, I've sort of been, you know, getting scraps and offcuts of all sorts of different things and saying, well, what can I make with this? Like, what does this yeah. do? And it's incredible how something, you know, that was just simple, quote unquote, has just stepped up a level because of that fabric. Yes, and I think people are more and more now um, are seeing the need behind repairing as a beautiful thing rather than um, repairing because I can't afford something or repairing because whatever negative connotations that people put on these things. But we can repair but repair with beauty and repair with fun and repair with colour. And, you know, um, I've seen some work that it's just, I think, oh, that's phenomenal. (laughs) That's, that's, you know, that's too good to be wearing now. Yes. (laughs) But that's what that person's doing. What I'm doing is that I'm allowing other people to see, oh, that's so beautiful. And if someone stops me in the street and goes, that is amazing, I've made someone smile, you know, and it was just a little bit of stitching. Yeah. It's well, I get in, in a way it's like in we're the joy that I see in people. Yeah. I've I've got Yeah. I've, yeah. I like that. I've got a book and I cannot think of the proper name nor can I think of the author which is beyond crazy. She's a, she's from Adelaide or from South Australia. Um it's called Modern Mending, I think, but there might be a little bit of other wording in the, the right, Yes. And I've got a copy of it and she goes into this as well as all sorts of other things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a fabulous book which made me realise just how beautiful we can we can be with repairing. But then on the flip side to that, um, a guest who have, has been on the podcast that I interviewed, um, Colleen Atara, she does some absolutely stunning work with uh, fabric and journals and paper and all sorts of things, and she has some pieces particularly of clothing that she's had for yes. 30 plus years that she's repaired and just constantly repairs and every yes. time I see yes. her share that yes. you're just like oh my goodness like there's a history there's a real history to this this <laughs> what you're doing by repairing and reusing and wearing over yes. and over yes yes no I yeah no I think that's kind of, I'm trying to do that with some of my clothes I'm really working at it some of them have been put in that little pile they're going I'll work out what would work for you, but I'm not, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you touched on it briefly, but you have been to Japan. You do go to Japan. Um, How how did that, how does that process go for you? Like aside from your own learnings and and, uh, knowledge and, you know, you're improving your skills and and being a student, what's the process like for actually purchasing things to bring back for your studio and for, for also for then selling? Like, how, like I'd love to know because I'm super no, jealous. Like no. I'll fit Sorry. in your suitcase next time I you go. So I'm coming. Yeah. Well, look, I'm really lucky because of my background where I used to live. I know a few people who are Japanese mm-hmm. and so I think, that is a start and that helps. So whenever I do visit, I always make sure we those connections are maintained and I see them regularly. Um, I'm also, my son um, lives in Japan and he studied uh, at a Japanese university and now he works um, there as a product designer. So that's also another, you know, thing that encourages me to go over. Yes. Um, to be able to see him and all that. Uh, and also because I've studied there, I've gone and, and spent, you know, um, 
weeks learning indigo dyeing with people and I've gone and done sashiko studies, that also opens up my network, I guess you can say, and also my knowledge of places. So when I do go back to Japan, I tend to go back to the same places that I have in the past found. And some places don't exist anymore and some still do, I hope, when I go back. Um, one particular shop I can think of, I just discovered on a just I don't fill my days like a tourist. Yep. I go, I'm just going to wander this area and see what I find. There'll be some days where it's just, you know, but there'll be some days where I just feel like I'm, you know, one magic after another. And I will literally find, because kimonos there, as sad as it is, um, the Western clothing is, uh, especially for the young, well, I don't know, not that young generation, I should say, as a majority of to wear a traditional kimono is not a regular thing. It's not yes. a daily habit anymore. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been for a long time. No, no. So they've got boxes and boxes of these kimonos that are just, you know, literally being dumped at um, what would we call op shops mm-hmm. or secondhand places. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have all these kimonos and they usually filter it. And I would just go in and I could spend hours and I'd literally just go through each one. I would check them. I'd look at them. I'd think, oh, would this be beautiful to take home? Because what I'd do is I'd bring them home so they don't sit there and collect mothballs and, you know, all that. I'd bring them home and I'd pull them apart and i sell the pieces individually so people can afford to buy the fabric and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I have mainly gone for uh, cotton and silk ones. Mm-hmm. There's one particular shop that I used to go to quite regularly and she she didn't speak English but we didn't need it. And she would take me to the back and show me some special pieces. And, in fact, there was one piece that she held for me. So when I came, <gasps> you know, she me around the back and showed me this. It was a kimono. You probably would have read that in the, the latest newsletter. Um, it was a kimono that was designed specifically for a funeral of a very special person. Mm-hmm. It was stunning. I mean, the embroidery work in the bottom was phenomenal. And she said, here, here, here. And I said, no, I, that is a kimono I can't pull apart. Uh, I just, it, the, the embroidery piece would be sensational and all that. But uh, to me, that needs to stay intact. Yes. It can't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really interesting sort of. And she got it and I got it and she um, last time I went there before COVID, I went to that place particularly and she wasn't there anymore. It was oh. some other young person who, yeah. you know, but didn't really. <laughs> and I was so sad because she was so sort of one of the that I was like, ah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> well, it's that connection you'd have with her from, from frequent visits and she got you and so therefore... Yeah. You noticed her not being there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, and sometimes the customers who were there, uh, I still remember one particular one, she was so delighted that someone really enjoyed, were enjoying these pieces and they just weren't sitting there and not being loved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you just brought back memories. <laughs> As I'm sitting here. So, yeah, a lot of people. As I'm sitting here listening Sorry. to this full of jealousy my suggestion is that what you need to do is organize a shopping expedition because i know i'm not the only one that would happily pay to come <laughs> along um just sign me up please 
you know, I, I think there would be quite a few of us. Aww. It would be it would be incredible because I, I mean the thing is, as you say, you've got you've been going there often yeah. enough. You've got that insider knowledge that someone may not get from just going on their own. Um, I mean, I've been to Japan twice. Yeah, and, I've, and said, I've said I would yeah. love to go back yeah. because there's so much about the country that you know. I mean, it's like any country, I guess. You could probably never see it yes. too often if you love it enough. But um, look, I'll yes. put my hand up. Yeah. I'll come. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing. And I mean, it's taken me a few trips and a few times to get. You know, and I still feel like I will always find more. And I have no idea um, because I haven't been back since COVID. They've only mm. just reopened, and it, well, not yeah, recently-ish. Yes, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if some of those shopping, the lanes that I used to wander down, are there still second kimono shops there? Yeah. Are there fabric shops there? Are there? You know, I have no idea. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting when I go back mm. to see what ha- what it's like. Um, I'm also really lucky because over the COVID period, I obviously couldn't go over. And one of the people that I've made a really good connection with, she ended up being my shopper for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how lucky is she? I was like, okay, you know, this is what I would really like. And she would go shopping for me. And it was like Christmas, you know, I just wait for the, because I always ship it all over because of my air freight. Yes, it's, you know yeah. it's just not yeah. worth it. I don't want people yeah. paying a fortune. I want them to. I want it to be affordable and enjoyed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's like Christmas when the box comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's always made. Yeah, and there's certain products that I get her to get bulk for me to send with the stuff because there's no, I can't get it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> how, how did you decide? Like, what led you to go from? loving stitching knowing was this this was a thing that you enjoyed to then turning that into into this little business this little creation that you have yeah okay so I started mainly indigo dyeing yes um and because I studied it and doing it from the plant and like growing my own and all that sort of stuff well maybe Um, maybe we need to put a stop point on that question and go back to the indigo dyeing how why and how and because I think that's a I mean there's a very Japanese thing but for a lot of Western people they would never have even maybe considered it as a as Actually, an option. So let's talk yeah. about that. Well a lot of people do think indigo dyeing is Japanese, but it's not actually. Indigo dyeing happens all over the world. A lot of it happens in Africa, you know, particularly Nigeria. I've got quite oh. a few pieces from Nigeria okay. that are indigo dyed. Um and a lot of that uh, I mean a lot of the thing is people got to be really careful because people try and sell indigo dye products when they're using synthetic indigo dye, which yeah. is much cheaper. Though the process is the same yeah. and how you treat your vat, there is similarities. Um, in the end of it, true indigo from a plant is a lot more expensive. Yes, of course. And so I know where my indigo comes from. I can actually, this, my supplier has a direct contact with the actual farmer. So I know I'm getting a true indigo. Yep. I've done my research. Um, but if it's too good to be true, it's not true indigo. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm I'm not a purist or anything. I, I just like to – I love the blue colour. I just yes. – it just has appealed to me for many, many years. And I thought I'd really like to play with it. And I've played with it and kind of thought I'm not as good as everything I can see online, you know. How do I get better? <laughs> um, right, I'll go to Japan and I'll learn how to do it and I'll study it. So I went for two weeks and I studied it with – 
um, a gentleman by the name Brian Whitehead. <laughs> um, oh, Brian's going to love it when he hears this. Um, and Brian has lived in Japan for over 30 years. He's originally Canadian. He's a really interesting person and he takes people into his home to teach indigo dyeing as well as other things, but that's his main thing. Um, and he and I, we hit off really well. I really enjoyed his course and his workshop. And since then I have been dying and dying and dying. And, in fact, the number of times he has messaged me going, oh, my gosh, I have never tried that dying. I've never tried that method. I've, you know, um, and particular, I guess I'm kind of, I'm that type of person when I see something, I want to work out how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm like a devil in the bone. Yes. Um, and there's there's a particular technique that basically the craftsman of that style of indigo dyeing, I don't even know if he's still alive anymore, but no one does it. And I, I, I just kind of fell onto it. I don't even know how. And I said to Brian, oh, I'm going to work out how to do this. And I got the tools and I've been playing around experimenting. And he gets excited as me and goes, you know, have you opened it yet? Have you have it looked? What does it look like? Does it work? You know. <laughs> um, and it's kind of nice when the person who's taught you or spent quite a bit of time really giving you a lot of the skills and a lot more understanding is kind of sharing it with you now rather than just, oh, one of the students. Is, yes. You know, I get a bit chuffed. <laughs> and I love pushing myself and I love experimenting. And I see things and I go, oh, how do they do that? And, you know, I'm just, my, oh, I've got, there's something I'm working on at the moment that I'm just, I'm stuck on and I can't, I haven't, haven't been able to nail it and I'm not going to ask Brian. <laughs> I am going <laughs> to. Um, but it, that's just what I'm like, you know, yeah. I just, I like the challenge. And then once I work it out, I'll be like, hey, everyone, let me show you something. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's the fun. Yeah. So, so then, okay, you've you've learned you've learned indigo dyeing. You still you're still doing that. How do you then go? All right, well now I need to be, I need a studio. I need to, I need to be teaching this because that's what that's what you are doing, right? Like you're not just selling you're not just selling uh, things. You're actually also teaching, even if it's not necessarily yeah. in a strict yeah classroom setting but you are teaching yes, you're sharing yeah. your knowledge so what 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 made that happen yeah well um so I started as an indigo dyer and then I moved I'm in the middle of a podcast gorgeous <laughs> my son's just like ah! that's all right <laughs> I'm in the middle of a podcast um a podcast so like I'm going to be famous <laughs> so, um so um I did a lot of indigo dyeing indigo dyeing studies yep I then also moved on to yarn dyeing so hand dyed yarns okay, and I yep. do that through another business called Hong Yarns um and in the process of that I really enjoyed stitching and I wanted to kind of combine them together because I couldn't do one or the other um uh, I taught uh, people in – this is when I still had my, I guess, my office space, my workspace at home, and I would take people to the um, to another place that I could hire out and I taught Indigo Dying there. Mm-hmm. And then it got to a point where I was finding I wasn't getting that work-life balance. Yep. 
I, I would walk past my desk all the time and be like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I'll, I'll just do that. And I never got a break from it. So I looked into my business plan and it, can I do this? And yes, so I've got this space here, which is a glorious space and it's well protected. And um, I've got all the setup that I need. I've, you know, brought everything in and um, made it work so I can teach people here, but also I can have. Um, all my equipment here in one place and not have to shuffle it because that was a really big thing, trying to shuffle my bat. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big effort. Um, kind of grown from that. I had this sort of fantasy that I'd be indigo dyeing fabric and then I would put um, Sasha Co patterns on them because I've got a fabric printer now. I used to screen print, but that was mm-hmm. really time-consuming mm-hmm. and very expensive yeah. way of doing it. So I've just invested in a fabric printer to do this part. And so I just have, I mean, I also do botanical dyeing. So this fantasy that I was going to dye um, Sarashi fabric, which is really good fabric that people use uh, to do the panels that is Sarashi cotton fabric. Yep, yep. Um, it's the, the weave and what you use traditionally. Well, not traditionally. What's the most common fabric that is used for the Sashiko panels by mm-hmm. lots of brands? Yep. Um, so I had this fantasy I was going to dye them with indigo, I was going to dye them with botanical dye and I was going to put these patterns on them and people will want to buy the kits now. I haven't got there. <laughs> you You've know, so much kits coming You've in You've still front. got plenty of time, Sarah. Don't stress. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, you know, I get these ideas like this um, stitch along that we're doing and I'm like, oh, this will be fun. Oh, I think other people would like to do a blood. And then all of a sudden, boof, you know, whoa, you know, it has been phenomenal. And all of a sudden, can I please have a whole set of this? Can I want to use the same fabric? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Right. Well, it's a good problem to have. Like it means means you're connecting with people and it means you have an audience and, hey, it could be worse, right? You could be speaking to them just hearing crickets in return. So, you know, there could be worse things. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, thank you. I know, I know. And I think that's the hard thing I'm sure you find with social media that you don't know because, uh, and I get that, a lot of people don't leave comments or don't yeah. say things on Instagram or Facebook. So you don't know mm-hmm. how much people are actually seeing or doing. And so when I put this stitch along idea out there and all of a sudden messages, boom, 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 like, Oh wow! Yeah. So there are people out there. Yeah. And you know, and I went to a market recently for the yarn, and was, oh yeah, I follow you on Instagram. Oh yeah, I've seen on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, so people are seeing. It. Yeah, they're just not necessarily yeah. pushing like or saying anything. And yep. it's it's yep. tricky because like the the last episode or an episode before, I, I did this little just this little request for feedback to listeners because. You know, I was sort of trying to work out with the year I had last year and and things like, do I want to keep going with the podcast or is it time for me to hang up my hat, so to speak? I just asked the listeners, do you want, you know, are we going in the right direction? Is this what you want to hear from the podcast? That sort of thing. And when I first, when we put it out there, it did scare me. I was like, what if I don't hear back from anybody? Hmm. But... Yeah, in, it makes you feel really vulnerable, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. But in a beautiful turn of events, I've had I've had a couple of emails come in. I've had people actually record. Um, Instagram gives you the ability to send a message 
but a voice message. So I've had a few of those come through as well. And hearing people say, yes, you're doing what we want, we enjoy it, please keep going, has really made me feel so good. So I can imagine how you must be feeling from from your audience saying, yes, this is what we want. Yes, yeah, no, totally. And, look, um, recently uh, I had someone come in who's from the mainland. She was coming to visit down here in Hobart and came to the studio um, to show me something she had stitched that I had been helping her through email, um, how to stitch this top that she had. And she came down and I was just beyond excited to see her wear this top. It was her first time that she had ever Sasha code. Wow. That you wouldn't know. It was just, it's perfect. It was stunning and it was perfect. And she said, I'm just so grateful for what you did. And she made me um, a pouch that had all these layers. It was just, you know, just, oh, wow. You know, it was just, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I like just, that's, not, that's not why yeah. we do what we do, right? Like, but, geez, it's nice. <laughs> it's so nice to have someone connect with you and say, thank you so much. You have taught me. But who so realised how much work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It is. A, it's a beautiful. It's that maker appreciating. Yeah, and and it's, it's funny. That maker appreciating. It's funny you should mention about her first time stitching because I think it's one of the things that I love about it so much. Is it's okay if it's not perfect, right? Like in many ways, it's encouraged. Yes, and that yes. is. So uncommon. Yes. yes. For art in particular. And it's like, yes, I can make a mistake and it doesn't matter because it's all part of it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And um and I guess, yeah, I think a lot of that is also why I I loved it too, because yeah. like I said earlier, um, embroidery stitching that there was a lot of perfection involved to get such a beautiful look yeah. and when I am not feeling patient or whatever <laughs> um but Sasha Curry just yeah it's yeah. not very often that I'll actually undo my work unless of course you know I have to show students or I have to show it in the shop <laughs> I, mean, I need to you know <laughs> this stupid need of what you know looking right yes, no. yes <laughs> Which is silly. Are you but that's what in the we stitch do. along? I didn't do yeah, yeah. But in the stitch along, I've made a conscious effort not to. I really wanted to keep it real and not realizing how much it's grown and what people want out of it. I'll, I'll just see where it goes. Um, well, look, let's. We've touched yeah, on made, we've, that's a conscious thing. We've touched on it a little bit. Let's talk about the stitch along because I'm so excited. This is the first time I've ever done anything okay. like this. Like. It's just beyond beyond exciting to me. So I want to I want to hear about why you decided to do it. If you actually even know, maybe it was just a random idea and you ran with it. But like, what does it involve? Let's say someone's listening and they're like, "Oh, this sounds really cool. I want to have a go." What? Let's, let's just yeah. share with everybody what it's about and how they can take part. Okay, so um, what it is is that I. I had these ideas. I, I love circles, bar, um, you know, circular items, not just shut the door. I share the studio with um, uh, a, con- a structural engineer. Oh, so <laughs> they're coming home with the trucks. Yep, that's all right. <laughs> okay. So um, 
there's such a uh, the, the stitch along, the sashiko along, um, the stitch along, I guess. It, it originated um, from the idea that over the last sort of couple of years, I've sort of just stitched these blocks just for fun. You know, yep. just I had a bit of fabric here and I had a bit of there and I had a lot of indigo dyed fabric of mine, just bits, and I just I just, I like spiral, I like circles, right, I'm just going to play. And so I end up with lots of these blocks and I'm still keep making them and I thought, you know what, we all need a bit of good karma mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people I know, it, it's actually surprised me but I've known so many people who've had such a tough year, I mean, my myself as well, a tough year last year um, and I just thought, I want to I want to provide people something that effectively could be free. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give back to the community. I want to do something that gives them joy that is easy. Yep. I don't want it I I want it to be successful on the first go. Yeah. So I I mean as the blocks progress there's it gets a little bit more challenging but they're very capable of doing it. So it's not hard and that's the thing. I've made them so they are actually quite simple. And I thought, well, what about I put one um, I put one up each month on the Instagram and people can copy them because mm-hmm. they're that simple. Then I've had um, a couple of people say when I was talking about the concept and the idea, you know what, Sarah, I think you probably there will be some people who have never stitched before and who will want to have a go because they can see they could do it but they haven't quite got the confidence. So, okay. I'll do some instructions. Yeah. And so I did some instructions for the first two and then I realised I was spending a lot of work on the next, some of the instructions. So then um, a few people said, Sarah, you, you should charge for those. Put the block up so people can copy because there's a lot of people out there who are very confident and just looking at something and replicating it to their style or how yep. they like it. Yeah. But there'll be people there who want to learn or who want to copy it. I'm all, I'm all for that. Yeah. So I thought, okay. So some months um, the instructions are free and some months the instructions, they, they purchase it through the shop. Yep. Meanwhile, I also thought, well, maybe some people will want the pattern on the fabric. So they want a kit. Yep. Because let's be honest, if I'm going to be really honest, I've noticed particularly the last year and a bit, I like things being, I like being told how to do things. Yeah. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. And I just want to sit and just be, even though I'm very capable of working it out, if I can give my brain a rest from the creating, because I mean, I, it might be hard for people to understand, but I would imagine creators will understand. There gets to a point that your brain is just like, and all these ideas and all these thoughts, and you're just trying. If I can just stop and be told what to do, and in the end, finish with something beautiful. Yeah. You know, just it's just gives that break from that. Um, so I thought, well, okay, why don't I do some kits? I'll see how it goes. And yeah. so with this first block one, I it blew me away. Uh, it just was so fast how they went, and so many people said, you know, can I please have one? Can I please have one? So I then went, well, okay, right. There's a big interest in this. People don't want to be purchasing a kit every month. People would prefer to spend know one lot of freight to have the fabric sent to them so okay and so this is what I've been doing the last month working out how I can because in the end of all of this I don't want this to be an expensive project 
And I want this to be something so everyone can sit down one one day a month even or it might need to be a couple of nights and just stitch and enjoy it, enjoy the process. There's no perfection needed. There's no, uh, you know, hard angles or anything. It's just about just enjoying it. Yeah. And if they want to add something else, they want to change something, go for it. Well, I so, yeah, I've, I've been working on it this month. I've been waiting for fabric to arrive so I can print on it. And, you know, I'm just sort of like, whoa. <laughs> well, yeah. I found myself, I've done, so, yeah. I think I've done, <laughs> I think I've done like three or four, maybe four or five spirals so far. And it's really funny because when I first saw the email come out, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. And, you know, I had to try to, uh, my initial thing was I wanted to try and make it the spiral perfect, even though you said you didn't have to. And I kind of did. And then I went, okay, great, but you don't have to. And so the next ones have been freer yeah. and looser. And I've done them as I've like been sitting talking to my husband of an evening or whatever. And so I just feel more in the zone quicker, I think. And at the end of it, you've got this really lovely little thing that I really love doing, if that kind of makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely fun. Oh, absolutely. And that's why and that's why in the photos I put the hand done one so people can see it still looks beautiful even when there is no drawing on it and no perfection and no pre-writing. It's it doesn't matter. It's actually still quite a pretty thing. Yeah. Um and it's not hard. And once you know the tips to avoid any of that, you know, um fabric puckering and things, mm. it's it's such an effective yeah. Yeah. So so obviously supplies kind of play into this a little bit. Um, people can buy kits, whether it's for the stitch along or whether it's just in general from you, obviously. But let's, could we just sort of have a quick little talk? Maybe someone's listened to this episode and they're like, right, I need to do this. I want to learn how to do this. What sort of, where would you suggest or what materials, what supplies do you suggest someone start with? Okay. Well, they need a sashiko needle. For one, mm-hmm. um, and why I specifically say sashiko needle is because, well, let's go back again. They need sashiko thread. They need thread. It actually doesn't matter. Yes. You can use DMC, which a lot of us have sitting in our stash, yeah. but they will find that sashiko thread just sits better, sits differently. I think you experimented with it, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Um, sashiko thread's got that kind of texture to it. It doesn't separate like traditional embroidery thread. Mm-hmm. That is sashiko thread. So it is a little bit thicker. You can get finer sashiko thread and you can get thicker sashiko thread. Um, a sashiko needle is specifically designed for sashiko thread because the eye of the needle is bigger. And the bevel, the way the bevel is, is the sharpness of the points, you know, that's the stuff behind scenes. Um, so you want to make it easy to thread. You don't want that to be frustrating because I tell you what, as I've got older, my eyes have got worse and <laughs> I've realised when I'm doing embroidery work, I'm just kind of like, oh, with such a code, it's so easy, like, whoo, done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you also need um, scissors to cut your thread. Yeah. And you need some fabric. So depending what pattern you're doing, how you want to do the pattern, you can rearrange it and just stitch and enjoy it or you can have a pattern and try and replicate it or you can even use different type of products to help you transfer patterns on or buying fabric that already has the pattern on it like the spiral one. Yeah. 
Um, so that's where they can start. I Once a year I do run a Sashiko along. So it's basically over 15 to 16 weeks I teach people how to Sashiko from scratch, mm-hmm. the traditional way. So they learn all the skills of Sashiko and then they can go off and look at any Sashiko um pattern or image or design they've seen and they'll know exactly how to do it mm-hmm. um and i do that once a year and the group that i had last year has given me some great feedback and i'm working on tidying that up so i feel really good about this year's group doing it and i haven't planned exactly when i'll do it this year and i'm imagining i'll probably be after the mid-year this year so september october august september october time i think um that is if you if you want to learn Sashiko and learn it the whole lot. Yeah. And I do it slowly and I do it step by step. So each week you're learning a technique and by the end of it you've got lots of these small squares. I intentionally keep it small so people aren't feeling overwhelmed and they achieve it well and truly within the week. Yeah. That's one way. Another way is to, oh, gosh, the amount of stuff you can learn online now with YouTube and all those, yeah. you know, and books and everything and have a play. Um, but yes, basically you start with a needle, a thread and some fabric and some scissors. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good one to get into because it's not particularly expensive. Like I'm sure you can spend a small fortune on your supplies and, and, and your fabrics and everything, but you don't, you don't have to, to create something beautiful. And I think that's also a really nice, um, part of it. Yeah, it's a great stash buster when you're doing repairs and yeah. or when you're just playing on with blocks, you know. It's just yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yes, this, it's, this, um, it doesn't require that much. No. This has been a great conversation. I kind of get the feeling you and I could sit here for another mm, four or five hours. Uh, not that I'm really sure listeners would appreciate <laughs> such a long episode. But <laughs> let's wrap like, it up. I want to do a stitch. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> but I just want to end with where can listeners find you online? How's how's the best way to get you and um, your work and your store? So this, the store is online, um, Little Japanese Haberdashery, through the Etsy platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are local, Tasmania, or visiting Hobart, um, I am based in North Hobart. If you have a look on Facebook and Instagram, all the information's there. They can contact me um, on my opening hours. I do open at short periods so I can actually focus on the people rather than get distracted because I, you know what it's like when you're yeah. creating and yes. doing things and then someone comes in. <laughs> <laughs> so I've made these open hours. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Because um, I had to. I had to make these open hours. Um so, yes, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm based on Etsy and I'm always trying to bring in new things and I get some treasures and I put them up and I just, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's lovely and it's, I think, I think listeners who jump on board and have a go will really enjoy the, I find it quite meditative. Absolutely. Like it's, it's surprising just what you can get from some yeah. stitches on fabric. Yes, and there's so much out there to inspire you if you're feeling uninspired or you're not really sure what to do. Yep. Just start with a needle and some thread, put a bit of fabric onto some fabric or even 
not a scrap and just start stitching and have fun with it. Yeah. That's what's most important, have fun and make it successful. Yeah. Great thank you, Kim, so much for having me. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Was, this has been such a nice conversation. <laughs> yeah. You've been awesome. Well done you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much.